Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Reputation matters to you. That is uh, a question that I've been probing the last couple of days. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Um, whose reputation matters to you? I just confess that God's reputation matters to me. I know, I know, I'm weird. That sounds a little wacky, but God's reputation matters to me. I, I'm like, like offended when God is publicly ignored, maligned, misrepresented. And so when God and the Word of God is or are invoked in public, I take note. Like, I, my ears perk up when somebody makes a reference to a passage of Scripture, makes a biblical allusion. Um, and so I was paying attention yesterday in the Senate confirmation hearing um, of uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson. I, you know, I was paying attention. I was paying attention to when God or the Word of God um, was invoked, when faith was discussed, that's, you know, that piqued my interest. Um, But a couple of days ago at a rally in Moscow, Russian President Vladimir Putin made reference to God, made reference to faith, and made express reference to a particular verse of Scripture, John 15, 13. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That is uh, in the context of the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John. If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, the entirety of John chapter 15 is in red. It is Jesus speaking. It begins, I am the vine, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Um, He talks about abiding in him. Uh, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my father is glorified that you would bear much fruit and so prove yourselves to be my disciples. John 15 is the chapter in which Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then the verse that Vladimir Putin referenced, misquoted, publicly butchered, Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus goes on to say, you are my friends if you do what I command. Um, Context matters. Knowing what Scripture says matters. When God is misrepresented and when his word is misquoted in public, you and I should take notice. We ought to be offended. We ought to point it out. 
We ought to condemn it. And so that's what I'm doing right now. Because um, Vladimir Putin was celebrating himself, his conquering of, uh, uh, of a portion of Ukraine called the Crimea a number of years ago at this big rally where people were forced to attend, other people were paid to attend. And in the middle of all of that, um, and in the middle of an ongoing war upon the people of Ukraine, where he is killing civilians, including children, he said, quote, you know, I remember the words from the Bible. There is no other love rather than if someone gives soul for their friends. That's according to the BBC's translation of the speech. The remark was followed by huge applause from the crowd. It's called proof texting. Ripping a verse from its context, manipulating its meaning to serve your own agenda. And in this particular case, the word of God is being used for a horrific personal political end. It's a gross mischaracterization of Christ, and it's a public mishandling of the word of God, and we have to call it out. The Bible is the very word of the one true God, and how we handle it matters. Satan himself demonstrates in in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. I mean, the devil can quote the Bible when he thinks it serves his purposes. So let's be people who recognize a verse drawn out of context, recognize proof texting, recognize what a verse really means. And if we don't know, let's go read it for ourselves. So today, let's read John 15, 13 in the context of John 15, in the context of the Gospel of John, in the context of the Bible itself. Let's not add to it. Let's not pervert it. And certainly, let's not manipulate it for our own personal or political ends. I'm Carmen LaBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. When we come back, Justin Gibney will be here. We're going to talk about the conversations he's having with his own kids today. We'll be right back. Justin Gibney joins us. You can find him at andcampaign.org. Justin, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So how was Cooper's eighth birthday? <laughs> it was good. He enjoyed it, had some friends around, and uh, had a pretty good time. Thanks for right, having me. Is Cooper, is he your oldest? Yes, Cooper's my oldest son. Okay. So from there, you have how many, and what are you guys talking about these days? So I have three sons. Uh, Cooper is eight, as you said. Uh, Chase is six, and Crew is two. Uh, so the conversation with him is is a bit limited, uh, but we have been talking about uh, what's going on in Ukraine, um, and mm-hmm. I've tried to talk to them about it within the framework, within a biblical framework, uh, talking about the fall, talking about what causes us to to be at war, and t- what causes us to kind of be uh, so divided and and, and belligerent at, at times. Uh, I try to talk about it uh, in terms of uh, courage as well. Um, There was a video that was out where there was a a father that was uh, leaving his daughter to go to war. She was leaving and he was staying. 
Uh, and I showed them that because I want them to see the sacrifices that people have to make and, and that at times you have to be courageous because you do have to uh, uh, sometimes defend uh, those around you. And so those that's the, those are the ways that I try to frame it. Uh, but just to get them to be familiar with uh, with these type of things and, and where they come from, from a biblical point of view. So take us into, um, you know, a little bit into one of those conversations, uh, because this is hard for people. And you've you have done more thinking um, about some of these subjects than than other people have done. And so talk with us about, you know, how from a biblical worldview do we talk about the origins of man's inhumanity to man, like why why there is war and then. Um, and then I think the subject line of courage is just so precious. And I love that you, you know, used a particular video and something happening in the real life of a person to show that to them. Because um, I don't think that showing them the ravages of war um, is necessarily where we want to go. But we do want them mm-hmm. to understand that things are happening for a reason that goes beyond, you know, one guy in Russia. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, like I said before, I want to start with the brokenness of man and why and why we are broken. Right. So we start with the fall and we talk about the enmity that we have in our hearts, uh, the selfishness that we have in our hearts, the uh, how we yearn uh, for power and then don't use the power in ways that God would have us use that power. And we're often willing to sacrifice others and take from others to get what we want. Um, And and so I want to always want to make sure that they just don't see that in others but that they see that potential in themselves, too. Uh, so it's not just about a, a demonizing of other people or even a demonizing of, of Putin. It's to say, if you don't watch out, if you don't do what's right, uh, that's in you as well. You know, this um, this willingness to tear down others to get what we want um, or to sacrifice others to get what we want, it's just so contrary. I mean, it's, it is absolutely an inverse of the gospel. Um, where Jesus gives himself to give us something we could otherwise never have. Um, and I just think that's such a powerful testimony. Yeah, it is. I mean, you, you pointed out perfectly, Jesus is the opposite of what we're seeing with some of the motives uh, for, for, the, for, for war and for, for taking from, another, from others. Uh, it's about self-sacrifice and how do we sacrifice for others, which goes in again to the conversation about courage. Uh, being willing to say, hey, I might have to sacrifice myself for something that's bigger than me. Uh, and as bad as what's going on is, I think we do have to use these real life um, circumstances to teach uh, young people uh, about courage, about brokenness and so on. Yeah, I think these are going to be, um, my guess is this event, the the war in Ukraine, is going to be a formative experience for you know children who are the age of your children or the ages of your children um maybe not crew but uh you know Cooper and Chase I suspect are going to remember this because I suspect this is going to change um you know it's not just going to change us for a little while this is going to change the global conversation going forward um and so I think it's uh it's prudent and helpful and we just appreciate your sharing with us some of the conversations you've been having with them we're talking with Justin Gibney from the AND Campaign. You can find him at andcampaign.org. Um, when we come back, I'm going to ask him about the Georgia governor's race. Justin lives in Georgia, and there's a lot of news about uh, what's happening on the Republican side between uh, the, the current governor 
and uh, and someone who would like to be governor. Um, and then there's also a storyline related to the Democratic side um, and uh, the candidacy of Stacey Abrams. So all of that coming up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Justin Gibney is an attorney. He is also um, involved in political conversations, both in his home state and across the country. Uh, And so, Justin, because you live in Georgia and it is a battleground swing state, um, politically purple, uh, I thought it might be interesting today to get your perspective on what's going on in Georgia's governor's race. Um, On the Republican side, there is a primary uh, going on. And then we have um, Stacey Abrams, uh, who has thrown her hat into the conversation on the Democratic side. So let's start with the Republicans. What's what's going on? Yeah. So you have the uh, incumbent who is uh, Brian Kemp. Uh, he had a skirmish with uh, President Trump uh, during the whole you know 2020 election where he uh, just I refused to be uh, helpful when it came to, to votes and, and kind of uh, changing the vote or questioning the vote and all those things. And so due to kind of, I guess, what you could call a backlash from uh, President Trump, David Perdue, a former uh, uh, U.S. senator in uh, Georgia, decides to run against uh, Kemp in the primary. And so they're going back and forth. Things aren't looking great for David Perdue. He does have uh, Kemp who support. I mean, he. I'm sorry, he does have Trump who's supporting him. And maybe if Trump comes out, his numbers rise. But as of right now, it, look like, it looks like Kemp is holding on. I just think it's unfortunate that Kemp is even having to go through this primary, uh, really just based on, on what was the big lie and, and people trying to push back because of that. So um, the whoever the Republican candidate is, they will have uh, Democratic opposition. And uh, maybe chief amongst those will be somebody whose name everyone recognizes, um, and that is Stacey Abrams. Talk a little bit about Stacey Abrams and what's going on. Um, I was reading just uh, yesterday that, you know, she's suing the state of Georgia for what she describes as a fundraising disadvantage. So there's just a lot going on here. Yeah, it's a similar suit that was brought by David Perdue. So Brian Kemp was able to raise funds uh, during the session. Uh, that was a law that was that was a law that was passed um, that that some would say yes disadvantages other people. So so it's not just coming from I say that to say it's not just coming from Stacey Abrams. David Perdue, Perdue had the same complaint when it came to uh, uh, Brian Kemp. Um, she ran against uh, uh, Kemp uh, four years ago uh, in a, a fairly close election. And, and as you know, Stacey Abrams, there's very few Democrats in America that have a, a name, a national name like she does. I think one of the mm-hmm. things that she's hitting Kemp on is uh, his failure to expand um, Medicaid. There's some other conversations. But if and when, you know, it, it's uh, the general election between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp, which is looking like that it'll be, it's going to be a very interesting back and forth. These are two candidates that are very different, coming from very different uh, perspectives. And uh, it's going to be an interesting race, just like it was last time, probably a, a very close one as well. So apparently um, she is a uh, self-confessed Star Trek super fan. I didn't know this about her. Um, she shared this in a New York Times um, interview a couple of years ago. And Star Trek has now uh, named her president of the United Earth. And um, I don't know that that will help her among conservatives in Georgia. 
Yeah, I don't know too much. I, I'll, I'll admit I don't know too much about Star Trek. I did hear that she appeared on some uh, a version of it or something like that. Uh, yeah, I don't, and I have just, no idea how. I don't well, know that I that'll just, have an impact at all. But uh, I guess I guess we'll see. Uh, but there's not too much I can add about Star Trek. I know I know a lot of folks are fans, and I did see the the picture of her being a part of something in relation to it. Well, I bring it up because um, campaigns are not what they used to be, and um, it's not as if when you're running for governor of a particular state, you're only you know running um, in that state. And uh, I mean because governors matter. I mean they. They matter not just in the state where they serve, but they matter across the country. Um, I mean, look how many conversations we have all had about the former governor of the state of New York, right? I mean, uh, or on and on. I mean, we could, um, we would be able to name a surprising number of governors, particularly of big states like Georgia, and um, it matters in our national conversations as well. So, um, I just I appreciate your willingness to, you know, dig around with us a little bit in it and. Uh, and I bring up the Star Trek thing only because campaigns are not what they used to be. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's fair to bring that up. Uh, there has been a lot of chatter in uh, Georgia about that appearance. We'll, we'll see. I'm sure it'll be brought up. We'll see what impact that it has. Uh, either way, there are a lot of uh, very pressing issues that are going to be uh, uh, in up for debate within this governor's race. And I, I completely agree with you. The governorship, I mean, that really matters. This gubernatorial race is going to be important for the people of Georgia. And I hope we're all paying attention and really uh, evaluating, examining the candidates, uh, honestly. What else are you watching and paying attention to these days? What has your attention, Justin? You know, I've been paying a lot of attention to the conversation. Well, one conversation we can talk about is, you know, um, transgender women in in women's Mm. sports uh, has been one that I think has been going around a lot. There's a lot of conversation about uh, parental rights, too. Uh, So those those issues, I think, have been pretty hot topics. And I'm keeping an eye on seeing how they are. Okay, let's jump on the parental rights conversation because we've talked probably a little bit more here about the uh, the conversation um, related to transgender athletes. Um, you know, as a parent, how are you feeling about um, or how are you viewing the conversations that are going on about what school districts um, and what departments of education are doing, what teachers are doing versus what you as a parent um, feel like your rights are in relationship to the education of your children? Yeah, you know, this is one of those conversations that's really, really important, and we need to make sure that we don't let distractions get in the way. We need to make sure that we don't let hyperbole get in the way. Parents should absolutely have a major say in what their kids are are, are learning. The idea, and you've heard it come from the left sometimes, that that you know parents should just leave it to the experts and it's not their job to step, step in, is ridiculous. And I think if the left really attaches itself to that attitude and that posture, there's really bad things to come. But I would also say to people on the right, make sure that the issues you're addressing when it comes to parental rights and education are the real issues and aren't just kind of the culture war issues. In this conversation about, you know, sex ed and all that, this is a real issue. Uh, I don't see why any school should have a problem ever posting uh, the curriculum or what the kids are learning from week to week in detail. To think that you can hide that from parents or that there's some justification because you think their intentions are bad just isn't an excuse. And so so we should be paying attention. We should address this, again, not as progressives or conservatives, but as concerned citizens and Christians, 
because it's a very serious issue that really has a lot to do with what type of country will be and what kids, what our kids will learn. Parents have to have a role in it, but we also have to be very responsible in how we're addressing it. That's really good. Yeah, that's really good. That's that's so helpful. All right, Justin Gibney, you can find him at andcampaign.org, Church Politics Podcast, one of my favorites and go-tos. Um, Justin, as always, thanks for being here. Thanks, Carmen. Take care now. You too. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Taste and See Tuesday or Tasty Tuesday. So let us taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, In a surprising twist, chapter one of Jen Oshman's new book, um, which is really about rejecting the idols of today's culture and embracing our identity in Christ, um, it's called Cultural Counterfeits, Confronting Five Empty Promises of Our Age and How We Were Made for So Much More. But surprisingly, the opening chapter is entitled Tomatoes, Cucumbers, and Garlic. And so on this Taste and See Tuesday, we're going to ask Jen Oshman to help us taste and see just how good the Lord is. I want you to think about that combo, tomatoes, cucumbers, and garlic. My my uh, tomato-cucumber combo is also like green pepper and then some feta cheese and tossed with some Italian dressing. And then just like let that marinate together, serve it with some really, really crunchy uh, lettuce Mm, all right. That's a that's a pretty good taste and see Tuesday lead off. Jen Oshman is going to be with us next. We're going to confront the cultural counterfeits. We're going to talk about the empty promises of our age and how we were made for so much more. need to ask for a a restart. Um, I just told you that the first chapter of this book is actually the first chapter title of another book that I am also doing an interview on today. And so I apologize, Jen Oshman, the title of uh, your first chapter is not tomatoes, cucumbers, and garlic. It's waking (laughs) up in a far country. So you may have felt like you woke up in a far country when I um, misrepresented the first chapter of your book. No worries. I wondered where we were going with that, but that's totally understandable. <laughs> so, so um, first of all, Jen Oshman is with us uh, graciously today. The book is Cultural Counterfeits, and we're going to talk about confronting the empty promises uh, of this day and um, how we can actually uh, reject the idols of the culture today and embrace our true identity in Christ um, t- talk with me, Jen, about sort of where this book grows out of. I'm thinking that the fact that you're, you know, a mom of girls might have something to do with it. Yes, absolutely. That is part of it. Um, I have been in women's ministry now for over two decades and been privileged to serve women in three continents. I now live in Colorado, but I just wanted to take a moment and write a book that would address the idols of our age that are so winsome and tenacious. And I have seen inflict so much harm um, on women today and girls as well. Um, And my daughters as well. And myself as well, you know, I include myself in that population Um, and to really just pull back the facade and reveal these counterfeits for what they are and remind women and girls that we were made for so much more. Is one, um, um, I mean, can I reduce one of these, uh, 
empty promises uh, or one of these idols that my life should be Instagrammable? <laughs> yes, absolutely. The first idol that I address is that we are obsessed with our bodies. We put a lot of hope and stock in our outward appearance as well as our ability. And so we really look to our bodies to deliver our identity. And we feel, you know, I won't be fully satisfied or I won't have significance or I won't have really arrived unless I look a certain way. And so we put our hope in how we appear and we put our hope in what we can produce with our bodies. And in that way, we make our, our bodies idols, which they were not meant to bear that kind of weight. So yes, that's the first one. Yeah, it's really good. We're talking with Jen Oshman um, about her new book, Cultural Counterfeits, Confronting Five Empty Promises of Our Age and How We Were Made for So Much More. Um, Jen, um, this book is about identity. It's about God's goodness, God's good design, um, God's purpose for our lives as women. Um, when when you think about sort of where you hope this book lands in the hearts of, of the reader, um, you know, what, what are you aiming for? What's the target here? Sure. Yeah. Well, I imagine the majority of the readers will be women in the church. You know, that tends to be who would read my writing. And so my hope is to remind the woman who knows the gospel and believes the gospel and follows Jesus to remind her of what's true. Our culture is so loud. And these idols, as I said, are so winsome and so tenacious. And they come at us in social media, Instagram, pop culture, uh, regular media, day in and day out. And these idols are loud and they're attractive. And the culture around us, and sometimes even Carmen, which I hate to say this, but it's true, sometimes even in the church, these idols sort of get dressed up a little bit and peddled to us as well. And so my hope is that this book will help women and girls just renew their minds and remember that, oh yeah, these idols are hollow and actually rotten. And I was made for so much more. There's, I have a father in heaven who adores me, wants to lavish his good gifts on me. And when I live for these counterfeits, I'm really living for a lie. And these things will not satisfy. They promise life, but they deliver death. And so I want to rehearse the truth. I want to show her what's true about the idols of our age, but also show her what's true about life in Christ. And that is that it is so good and so rich and so sweet. And just woo her to the Lord again and again. Promising life but delivering death, that is um, that is true truth uh, about the idols of our age. And I think that one of the things you're doing in the book is you're equipping us to have the kinds of conversations or or maybe read this book together with, um, you know, with a younger woman, maybe even a girl in her teens. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think that when you're, when we're thinking about uh, the time period in which this needs to sort of take root and um, where we really need to be having these conversations is before someone has sold out for cheap sex, before um, they have had an abortion, um, recognizing that a lot of these conversations are going to take place with people who have sold out for cheap sex or um, now live on the side of an abortion where they recognize that has not delivered. Those are two of the other idols you deal with in the book. Yeah, these conversations really need to be had so delicately. And actually, last night, I just wrapped up 10 weeks of going through this book with the women in my own church. And of course, these conversations are happening around my dinner table every day, as well as you said, I have four daughters. 
So ideally, yes, I think that somebody could read this book with a younger woman and they could both renew their minds and remember what's true about the idols of our age, as well as our lavish and generous and kind God in heaven. Um, But again, it's a delicate conversation because the truth is we have all succumbed to these idols in one way or another. You know, we may not have um, had an abortion ourselves, but we have most likely participated in a culture where we've championed choice or convenience or our own life taking priority over the life of another person. And so there's really ways where we all have fallen prey and given ourselves over to these false counterfeits of our age, rather than really surrendered and submitted to the goodness of our God in heaven. So it is a delicate conversation. It requires incredible grace and incredible truth. But thankfully, our God has an endless amount of both. Mm. We're talking with Jen Oshman, author of Cultural Counterfeits. Um, Jen, take us into the chapter, It's Good to Be a Girl. Yes, I love that chapter. That's chapter nine of the book, and I really enjoyed writing it. Um, You know, I feel like in our secular culture, but as well as in our church culture, oftentimes, our conversations about women and girls tend to be limited to what we can't do, you know, tend to be limited to the conversation about, well, here's the roles that you can have, but here's the roles that you can't have. Here's the boundaries that you as women and girls must be in. And um, while that conversation can sometimes be helpful, what I wanted to do is really zoom out and go, you know, that conversation is, is really limited. That's a teeny percentage of what the scriptures say about the goodness of women and girls. And so I wanted to start in Genesis 1 and go through the scriptures and even take a look at world history and just see God's good design for women and the way that he designed women to be strong and courageous and helpful and just powerful, um, adventurous members of society and just celebrate what God has for us. And we see so many women in scripture, such a diversity, um, such a, just the way that God has created each woman to carry out his purpose for her. And so I really hope that I just wanted to reframe the conversation. And I hope that that chapter just excites women and girls as they think about what God might have for them in their lifetime. Cultural counterfeits confronting five empty promises of our age and how we were made for so much more. Um, the, uh, The empty promises of our age, number one, that we're obsessed with bodies, beauty, and ability. Number two, selling out for cheap sex. Number three, abortion has not delivered. Number four, trending, LGBTQIA+. And then number five, when marriage and motherhood become idols. We're going to talk about those last two. Um, When we come back, I'm going to ask Jen, um, you know, at the intersection of the LGBTQIA+, trending cultural reality, being the mother of four girls, maybe what is the dinner conversation around women's sports these days? Yep, all of that up next on Mornings with Carmen. To live so much more Have we lost ourselves Somewhere we live inside Somewhere we live John Oshman, inside. Jen Oshman is an author. She's a speaker. She's a blogger. She's a mom of four girls. The book that we're talking about today, Cultural Counterfeits, Confronting Five Empty Promises of Our Age and How We Were Made for So Much More. Um, Jen, let's talk about what's trending in the culture. Um, LGBTQIA+, it goes on. The list is long. You have four girls. Um, Wondering what your dinner table conversations sound like in relationship maybe to women's sports today. 
yeah, we are having those conversations, not just at dinner, but breakfast and lunch as well. It's definitely been a daily kind of an all day theme for us as a family. What I want to remind my daughters and myself and the reader of my book is that we have a good God in heaven who had, who created us with a good design. I think it's tempting for even those of us in the church who are Bible believing Christians have been walking with the Lord for a long time in this age that is so powerful and so loud and our cultural trends and norms and values are changing so quickly. And there are significant consequences if you don't um, go with the flow. What I want to remind the believer in Christ is that God's word is good and that his design is good. His character is good. And so when we turn to his word, I want to remind people that he really did say these things. He really did design us in a specific way. And, um, you know, Genesis chapter one and chapter two has so much to say to the idols of our age. Um, There's just a wealth there that if we would go back to the story of creation and remember who our creator is, I think it would really help us in these current conversations. And so that conversation for me at the dinner table or with a friend always starts with, let's remember who our God is. Let's remember his created order and realize that that's not a bad thing. This is not, these are not shackles. This is where we find freedom. This is the beginning of our identity, um, who God made us to be. And yes, he really did say these things. And yes, they really are for our good. We have to start with that foundation. The book starts um, waking up in a far country and ends with home. Could you um, take us home? (laughs) Absolutely. Well, throughout the book, I um, followed the story of the prodigal son and his older brother. And I show the reader that so many of us are either the younger brother or the older brother. And so many times we're actually both, you know, the younger brother asked for his father's inheritance early, basically wishing his father dead. And he took that money and he went out to a far country and then he squandered it in reckless living. So he was really looking for his identity um, in, in just reckless living, whatever that was for him at that time. So for us now, it might be cheap sex. It might be abortion. It might be various identities on the LGBTQ spectrum, um, wherever we're looking for identity in reckless living. But then the older brother, he stayed home and he behaved very well. Um, but he too was not necessarily looking for a relationship with the father he too just wanted the wealth and the good gifts of the father, but not necessarily to abide with the father. And in both situations with the younger son and the older brother, the father takes on their shame and he entreats both of them. He goes out to both of them and he takes on their shame for himself. And, it's, and he, give, he covers them with his robe of righteousness and he lavishes love on them before they can even apologize. And he says, come home. I'm preparing a feast for you. Won't you come in? Won't you come home? There's a place for you at my table. And I love that parable. It's in Luke chapter 15. I love that we just see the generosity and the kindness of our father, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've gone, no matter what we've put our hope in, if we've, maybe we've put our hope in choice and abortion and sex, or maybe we've put our hope in being married and being moms. And we've put our ultimate identity and significance in those temporary roles, rather than our hope and our identity in a relationship with the Lord, no matter what we've done, the father says, come home. I've prepared a feast. I want you with me. All that I have is yours. Mm. Um, home. So you say um, in the acknowledgments, I mean, you know, lots of wonderful acknowledgments to <laughs> co-laborers who helped make all of this happen. But then there is um, 
this paragraph to your family and then ultimately to our Father in Heaven. But I want you to um, just say something to your mom right now, because you just very briefly acknowledge that there is much of you here. When you think about your mom and you think about um, what of her is here in this book, could you identify a couple of those things? No, that is such a sweet question. And I hope she hears this. Um, My mom, first of all, was an English teacher for 45 years. So she taught me to read deeply and to think deeply. And so we had these deep conversations around our dinner table all the time. And she, I did not grow up in a Christian home. My parents divorced when I was eight and my mom started taking me to church when I was nine. So thanks to her, I was exposed to the gospel at the age of nine and I experienced the forgiveness of the father in my teen years. And so really my mom is to be thanked. She's the one who pointed me to Jesus first and foremost. And for that, I am eternally grateful. But the reality also too, is that she was a single mom and we, there were so many pitfalls that came with that. And so we, we navigated life as mother and daughter. What does it look like to follow the Lord? rather than the world in this situation. And um, she really helped me to become a critical thinker and to reject the idols of our age and to pursue that deep intimacy with the Lord over and above the counterfeits that were being peddled to me as a girl. Mm. I love that. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Like, right? That's (laughs) so good. That's so good. good. Right. And then um, because you do address um, the idol of marriage and children, Um, Let's briefly touch on that and then, you know, recognize that in acknowledging your husband, Mark, and acknowledging your own kids, you're not making an idol of them. You're loving them appropriately and and recognizing the gift and and stewardship that they are, responsibility that they are, um, as God has set you in relationship to them. So can you briefly touch on how marriage and children can become an idol today for Christians? Sure. The most tenacious idols tend to be the best gifts. So the good gifts that our God gives us, we turn them into idols quickly when we we see them as not just good gifts, but as ultimate gifts. Like I have to have that or my life will not have significance or purpose. And I think oftentimes in the church and it's subconscious and it's on accident, we do that with marriage and motherhood. And I think it's in response to the other idols of our age, you know, the sexual revolution and the way that sex and family and all of the other things that I talk about in the book were really cheapened. In the church, we've said, no, those these are good things. Marriage and motherhood and family are good things. But then on accident, I think we swung the pendulum so far that we said, you have to have these things to be someone who's mature or revered or really looked up to. You know, you haven't arrived in the church unless you have these things. And so I just wanted to renew our minds as we read that chapter and remember that our identity cannot be in any temporary role. Our identity must be rooted firmly in the eternal goodness and identity and value that we have because of the God who made us and our Savior who died to save us. That's where we need to root ourselves. That's who we are. All right. And since it would only be fair, um, having completely uh, gotten us off track at the very beginning, do you have a (laughs) cucumber and tomato recipe that we should know about? Hey, I actually do. (laughs) So we were missionaries in the Czech Republic and they have something there called chopsky salad and it's so good. And basically what you do is you need to dice up cucumber, tomato, red pepper, toss it all together with feta cheese, olive oil, and salt and pepper. And you have yourself a Czech chopsky salad and it's delicious. 
Okay, I totally love it. Thank you for um, playing the Tasty <laughs> Tuesday Taste and See That the Lord is Good game with Carmen, which we just came up with. So there you go. Um, thank you so much. You have given us um, much food for thought. Um, thank you for setting the feast before us uh, at home in the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for reminding us of the goodness of God and who we are in him. Um, thank you for helping us to think critically about the issues of the day. Um, and thank you for giving us a little window into your own home. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Carmen. It's been a joy. I appreciate it. Likewise. Likewise. That's Jen Oshman. The book is Cultural Counterfeits, Confronting Five Empty Promises of Our Age and How We Were Made for So Much More. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Okay, sometimes the mistakes we make, um, you know, turn out to be pretty good. So even though I was reading my notes from a different book conversation, um, you know, ultimately we got a really good recipe out of Jen Oshman that otherwise we would not have gotten. So there you go. Dice your cucumbers and your tomato and your red pepper with some feta cheese and some salt and pepper and olive oil. That sounds absolutely delicious to me. Um, it is Tuesday. How are you going to help others taste and see that the Lord is good today? I was I was reminded um, just the other day. Uh, one of the things <laughs> that that I frequently say when I'm making something, and maybe I inadvertently put something in it that I I hadn't really completely thought through. I will look at Jim and I'll say, "Oh, don't worry about it. It will be delicious." That's apparently one of my lines that I wasn't really aware of until he pointed it out the other day. He's like, where does that come from? I mean, like you say it and you say it with such delight. Oh, don't worry about it. It will be delicious. Okay. Well, it comes from, um, I mean, after I thought about it, it comes from, also my mom used to have a cooking show called Can Do Clinic. It wasn't just cooking, but there was always a cooking segment. And I remember that one time she was supposed to be making this cake. And when she dumped the cake out, the cake didn't all come out of the pan. It came out in pieces. And so she looked at the audience and, you know, into the camera and just said, oh, don't worry about it. Turn it into a dump cake. It will be delicious. And so, you know, you layer it with pudding and whipped cream and it doesn't matter that it's all broken up. And it will. It will taste delicious. So even of the broken pieces, um, God makes um makes beautiful, wonderful things of us. And so let's honor the one who was broken, that we who are broken might become whole. Let us taste and see that the Lord is good. And let, let's let help others taste and see that the Lord is good today as well on this Taste and See Tuesday. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.